Go to the book of Philippians, if you would, chapter 4. We are learning contentment. It is the key to happiness. You may have heard the story of the two old friends who met each other one day on the street. One of them looked so very sad, almost on the verge of tears. His friend asked him, what happened to you, my old friend? The sad fellow said, let me tell you. Three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. friend looked at him and said, well, that's a lot of money. But you see, the sad man continued, two weeks ago, a cousin I actually never even knew, he died, and he left me $85,000, free and clear. The friend was kind of scratching his head by now, saying, well, sounds to me like you've been really blessed. You don't understand. The fellow interrupted, last week my great aunt passed away, and I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars. The friend by this time was really confused and said, well, why in the world are you so sad? Well, because this week I didn't get anything. (laughs) And that's the average American right there, isn't it? We assume that life is a non-stop flow of everything that we've ever wanted. That's when a person has contentment, as long as I have everything that I want. That cannot be the meaning of true contentment, because if that's the case, then no one will ever be contented. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, which are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet meaning He is the beginning and the end. Well, let me tell you that He is the beginning of happiness, and all happiness certainly has its end in Him as well. God alone can help us find true contentment. There are numerous passages in Scriptures that talk about contentment. As I was praying a couple weeks ago and just seeking the Lord's face for a direction for some sermon series, and it seemed like the Lord just uh, brought me to this thought about contentment, and there's many scriptures. And so for a few weeks now, we're going to be discussing how to learn contentment. It is not something that's automatic. We have to learn it, but when we do, it is the key to real happiness. Let's all bow for a word of prayer, if you would, please. Everyone, head is bowed as we honor the Lord. Now, Lord, we do bow our heads to you because you are the mighty God. You are amazing and wonderful, God. We thank you. You are glorious in everything that you do, awesome in works and mighty in power and glorious in nature. Thank you. And so, Lord, this morning we honor you and love you. Would you teach us, Lord, contentment? Would you teach us from your word this morning? In Christ's name, amen. Philippians chapter 4, and our theme verse for this series is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 the second half of the verse, where the Apostle Paul said, I have learned, I have learned. I wasn't just blessed with it. It wasn't something that I inherited. I learned. I learned. It was not an easy learning for sure. But I have learned that whatsoever state, that is, whatever circumstances I find myself in, I have learned to be content. As a result of being content, we saw last week that 
that gave him a self-sufficiency is really what the word means. But his self-sufficiency really was a God-sufficiency. Today, we live in a discontent culture. We're discontent with what we have. We're discontent with what we look like. We're discontent with our lot in life. We're even discontent. Oftentimes, some are discontent with who they're married to. But Scripture identifies a man who is just like you and I, who learned the pathway to be content. He'd say, well, I'm sure he could be content. He probably had everything he ever wanted. I mean, he probably had everything going his way. And uh, I mean, sure, he could be content. Well, uh, let me give you the Apostle Paul's biography. And you don't need to turn them, but if you want to, you can. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll just read it to you. Here is uh, his background. And if you were to read this on a job application, you would say, I don't want to hire that guy because he might be bringing all that stuff to my work. Verse 23, and labors more abundant and stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have beaten, been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And besides those things, which he said are from without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. <laughs> now that's what I call someone who's had a rough time. Man, you talk about someone who uh, disaster follows him. He possessed in the midst of all of that a contentment. Now, if the Apostle Paul can learn to be content, you and I can be content. Now, in these verses, you'd say, well, where does contentment come from? I think you could sum it up in four words. Let's look at those. First of all, in verse 13, trustfulness. Trusting God. Let's all read verse 13 together, if you would, please, out loud. And if you don't have a your phone with you, your iPad, or your King James Bible in front of you. You can look on the PowerPoint here, but let's all read it together. Ready? Out loud. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let's say that again. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I want you to look at the first two words. I can. Say that with me. I can. I can. I really can. Most of the time we say, I can't. I can't do this. I, I can't do this. I can't do this. But the fact is, if God has brought this circumstance into our life, we can. We can do everything that needs to be done, but it is through Christ. Paul said, I've learned contentment, and I've learned to trust Him in everything. But I will tell you, my sufficiency is not of myself. It is because I'm connected to the sufficient one. His link to the life of Christ is what gave him his adequacy. He said, I have learned I can do all things, but it's always through Christ. When he got born again, God gave him something that just changed his life. He had religion. He had a well-to-do family. 
He had education. He had position. He had prestige. He had respect in the community. Uh, probably had a wife. Uh, he was uh, on his way up. He was upwardly mobile. He was uh, probably well-to-do. And he was a man who had his mind set. He knew that the Christians were just a bad deal for the country. And he especially hated Jesus Christ. And then one day he got born again. As the book of Philippians says, he was apprehended by God. The holy police ran me down and they shackled me. And uh, I was taken prisoner by God. The fact is he had been fighting against God for so long, and then he got saved, born again. He said, Jesus, come into my life and save me and wash away every sin I've ever done. He got born again. And when he did that, that word born again means born from above. God was now birthed in him. Now, if God is in me, I can do all things. I can do all things, he said. Now, that doesn't mean I can go forever without eating. It doesn't mean I can go forever without drinking anything. It doesn't mean I can go forever without sleeping things. Actually, the Greek verb there, when it says I can do all things, means I can endure all things. It refers coming to the bottom of human resources and finding there the strength of Christ. It is coming to the end of ourselves and finding Jesus was there all along. He said, you know what? Every time I've come to the bottom, I find Jesus. I come around a corner when it's so dark, and I find Jesus. Every time I'm at the end of my resources, I find Jesus Christ. He had learned he can always trust an unknown future to a known God. For all the things that he'd been through, it never entered his mind that somehow God wouldn't come through. He said, I can do all things. I I just, I've been through so much. I've been through all these things, and it's just come to the point where I realize I can trust God. I don't have to know the future. I don't have to be able to figure it all out. I just know that God is going to come to my rescue. The future is above my pay grade anyway, and so I just have to trust God. It's God who comes along, and He rolls up His sleeves, and God always comes through for me. This word there, strengtheneth me, I can do all things, is the same word in Acts chapter 19, the word prevailed. It's the same word in James chapter 5. We remember that verse where it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The word effective means just powerful. And he said, I am, I am powerful because of Christ. I can avail because of Christ. I prevail because of Christ. The great uh, Augustine said this, trust the past to God's mercy, trust the present to God's love, and trust the future to God's providence, but in always just trust God. We can trust God. You and I can trust Him. When Pastor Luke was a young man, maybe in his uh, middle teenage years, he's always been kind of a particular little guy. And uh, his mother uh, and I, uh, mainly me, uh, I asked her if she could kind of save us a little bit on the income expenses by sh giving the kids a haircut, and so uh, she always gave Luke a haircut. And uh, he started getting old enough where he wanted kind of a style, 
And so she would style him a little bit. And so uh, uh, she did a good job. Well, one day she was kind of busy and uh, he needed a haircut because he had a brown eyed girl that he was really trying to impress. And uh, so uh, I said uh, she was busy. And so I offered to cut his hair. Luke looked at me with those eyes and kind of warily like, uh, I don't know if I want you cutting my hair. Now, I had cut his hair earlier when he was a little boy, but I'd never cut it for years. I said, son, trust me. I can cut your hair. He, being the good son that he was, decided he'd let me do it. And so I, I still remember sitting, he was sitting there on the little stool. And so I took that uh, shaver and I started doing what I was doing, and it went all right for a couple of shaves, and all of a sudden, something went a little haywire, and uh, it wasn't bad, but it was like a little chunk or something, and um, he didn't feel it, but I saw it, and uh, when I saw it, I laughed. That was, it. that was all it took. He did not want his laughing father with a shaver in his hand to finish that haircut, and boy, I'm telling you, he, he got up, I'm not, no, Dad, you're not touching my hair, I'm, that's it. Son, trust me. Now, folks, it hurt my heart that he didn't trust me. The truth is, he was very smart to not trust me. I know for sure. Now, I tell that story because sometimes I feel just like Luke. I'm in God's barber chair, and God's telling me to trust him. Now, in his case, he'll give me a perfect haircut. Only thing is, he's often trimming on me. But I will say this, you know, if we just trust God, everything will work out all right. It really will. That's what he's saying here. He says, trust me. You can trust me. I'll give you strength. I'll take care of you. Actually, the word which strengtheneth me means infused, infused with strength, meaning thoroughly, uh, just completely uh, put throughout everything, just totally infused. Not too long ago, I was looking up in our cupboard and there was this little metal ball up in the cupboard by the, by the cups, and uh, it had a little, uh, a little chain on it, and I thought, man, what in the world is this thing? So I pulled that thing out, a little metal ball, and hollow metal ball, and I said, honey, what in the world is this thing? What's it for? What do you do with it? And uh, she said, that's an infuser. I said, what do you do it? So she pulled out some stuff that looked like marijuana, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's not easy being a pastor's wife. And uh, so she put that, she opened that little ball up and put that stuff in there and she put it back and then she put it in her teacup and put that hot water over that. And pretty soon that water was infused with tea. It wasn't marijuana. (laughs) It was infused. And that's what the Lord does in my life. I place him in the middle of my cup. And when the hot water comes, and it's going to come, and when I'm in hot water, he just infuses me with his power. And that's what God is saying here. He is saying, if you'll trust me, I will strengthen you. What is contentment? Contentment is just trusting God. It's saying, you know what? I can trust God. And when you're in the shadow of death, and when problems face you, and when marriage issues concern you, and when the kids are driving you crazy and when you feel like you just can't trust Him anymore, you can. And when we do, you'll find contentment. We become infused with God's power. So many people want to find strength and 
want to find an answer from a pill or from a therapist. But it's Christ that strengthens us. It is Christ. D.O. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists America's ever seen, a great uh, man who just shook the nation for Christ in the 1800s, he said this, he said, trust in yourself and you're doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in your reputation and some slanderous tongue will blast it. But trust in God and you will never be disappointed. And so what is contentment? Paul said, here's what I've learned. I've learned that it means to just trust God. You can trust Him with your future. It all, not only is trustfulness, but it is unselfishness. That's where contentment comes from. In verse 17, we find that. Contentment comes when we have a concern for others more than a concern for ourselves. If we spend our whole life concerned about ourselves, contentment will always be out of reach. Let's read verse 17 together, if you would, please. Ready, begin. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So the Apostle Paul was being grateful for the gift that had been given to him. You remember Epaphroditus uh, had been sent there. The Apostle Paul at this moment is in Rome. He is in a, probably an apartment or some sort of a flat. He's under house arrest. He is there, likely chained to a Roman soldier. He has, it's a trumped up charge, and a kangaroo court has thrown him into this situation, and yet he's pushing ahead because God's giving him an opportunity to preach, and he's writing the gospels here, the epistles, and it's a beautiful time. And yet through all of that, he said, you know, I, I am so grateful for your gift. But he said, you know the main reason why I'm thankful for your gift is because it did something for you. Notice verse 17. He said, it's really not because I desire a gift, but fruit that would abound to your account. Let's go back to verse 14. Let me give you a little perspective here. Back in verse 14. Notwithstanding is the big King James word that just means nevertheless. Nevertheless, ye or you have well done. You've done well in that ye did communicate or share with me in my affliction. Now, um, if the church had gotten this letter, they did get this letter. When they got this letter, perhaps you should say, when they got this letter, they would say, now, we are so hurt in our spirit for the apostle. I mean, he is our, he started this church. We love him. He, he was very precious to these people. And they felt so sorry that he was in Rome. He was in prison. He was uh, there chained to that Roman soldier. And they said, man, we got to help him. He probably doesn't have enough food. Doesn't, I mean, this is a terrible situation. And so they sent food to him. They sent money. They somehow to kind of relieve his pain. Paul writes back and he says, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things. It almost would sound like I didn't need your gift. I, I really didn't, honestly, didn't need it. And in a sense, that's what he's really saying. He's really saying, I found a way to be content, whether you gave me the gift or whether you didn't give me the gift. I found a way to be content. But nevertheless, he said, I want you to know you did the right thing. You did a good thing. 
Look at verse 15. Now you Philippians, these, that's the people in the church, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when the gospel was just being launched, when I departed from Macedonia, now, you know, northern Greece is above, north part of Greece is called Macedonia. They're fighting for their name right now. Similar back then. When I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated or shared or gave with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Isn't that something? The only church that was a real giving church was the church at Philippi. I mean, these people were just givers, and God saw that, and the Apostle Paul saw that. And he said, I want you to know something. I have not forgotten it, and neither has God. Now, let's come back to verse 17. In all of this, he said, when I'm telling you I can do all things, I'm not telling you not to give. I'm not telling you I didn't appreciate it. I'm not telling you I didn't need it. And Lord knows it was such a blessing. But he said, the main reason why I'm happy for your giving is for your sake. You know, sometimes uh, people say, oh, that church, all they ever do is ask for money. Uh, Well, I'm not sure about other churches. And... uh, but I know when I ask for money, it's because we need it. <laughs> and the people say, well, you know, uh, they're asking for money. Well, yeah, you know, uh, that building out there, uh, I can't go to the, we can't go over to the store and say, we want you to give us, you know, $100,000 worth of ceiling tiles. Would you do that? Just give them to us. They don't do that. That's not the way it works. You got to put money up. So we need it. And yet, even though we need it, I know that the greatest reason for giving is not just because of the need, but because every time we give, it puts fruit to our account. Notice what it says here. It says, fruit, we have an account in heaven. Now, how many of you have either a savings account or a checking account or you have some sort of a brokerage account or perhaps you have, uh, you know, some son of a IRA, a 401k, or some retirement account. How many of you have some sort of an account, whether it be checking, savings, you have an account somewhere, somehow. Would you just lift your hand? I'm not going to trick you. I just want you to, I, I know you don't want to raise your hand, but uh, all right. Now, I know 99% of us have an account somewhere. Now, if you have a, an account where it's interest-bearing, you want to make sure that you go there and that you see that thing greater. Now, over the last few years, if you have it in a regular passbook savings and you have $1,000 there, five years later, you probably have $1,000.05, and uh, the interest rate's been so low, but thank God for the nickel, and uh, it didn't go backwards. So we are laying up interest. And that's what God said. He's saying here, you have an account in heaven, and I love to see your account grow. He said, I want to see your future account to be just absolutely just full of interest, compounding, compounding. Jesus called it treasures. Remember, he said, in fact, the uh, Pastor Craig referenced it a few moments ago. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We have an account in heaven. I'm wondering if we checked your account, your heavenly 
balance. I'm wondering what it would be like. I'm wondering if you checked mine, what would it be like? What would my heavenly balance be like? Well, here the Apostle Paul said, if you have been generous in your giving, God is going to give you fruit. This church was a blessed church because they had remembered the kingdom of God. They had remembered the man of God. And God was saying, he will never, never allow you to be outgiven. He will give back to you. He will just give to you. And he's reminding them here that this is where contentment comes from. It comes from being concerned about others. The Apostle Paul said, honestly, my biggest concern in life is not about myself. It's about you. I I wanted a gift. I'm glad for it. I needed the money. I needed the food. I needed the warm clothes. It was a blessing. But honestly, I'm more concerned about you. And when we get to the place where my needs aren't as important as your needs, my concerns aren't as important as your concerns, my situation is not as important as your situation. When we get to that point, when we're glad for the blessings that others have, we become content. If the only time I'm happy is when things are good for me, then I can only be happy when things are good for me. But if I can be happy when your things are good for you, then that's two people. If I can be happy for three people, then that triples my joy. If I can be happy for the blessings on four people, then that quadruples my joy. The more people I can be excited for, the more I double and quadruple, and pretty soon it just gets to the point where I feel so blessed. And that's what I feel like we're at this point in our life, whether it be with our children, whether it be with the saints of God. When I see good things happen in your life, I just say, thank God, it makes me feel so good because you get to a point in your life, so many people, the older you get especially, it's like, you know what, it's not about me. And if you're old and you, it is about you, you've got serious problems because you're not going to ever be happy. But when we can say, you know what, it's just about other people. If they're happy, I'm happy. Be glad for them. There's an old story about an older couple. They were having dinner at a restaurant. And the wife sees another couple about their age sitting in a booth nearby. She sees the husband sitting close to his wife, arm around her, whispering things in her ear. She's smiling, blushing. He's gently rubbing her shoulder and touching her hair. The woman turns to her husband and says, look at that couple over there, honey. Look how close that man is to his wife. And he's talking to her. And look at how sweet that is. Why don't you ever do that? The man looks up from his Caesar salad glances over to the next booth, then turns to his wife and says, honey, I don't even know that woman. <laughs> I can't do that. I don't even know her. And, uh, you know, here we are. Say, well, you know what? My greatest joy in life is just be happy for others. Let's, let's just be happy for them. We can sum up contentment in four words, trustfulness, unselfishness, and number three, gratefulness. Look at verse 18. Let's read it together, would you? Ready, begin. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. I want you to notice, this verse kind of reminds me of that verse in the book of Luke, I think it's chapter 6 and verse 38, where it says, pressed down, running together, you know, full... This is a similar verse because he gives three verbs about how blessed he is. 
Notice, first of all, he says, I have all. He said, everything I could ever need, I really have. Then he said, I have all and abound. (laughs) He said, I not only have it, but it's flowing over my cup. It's just spilling over. It's just everywhere. And then he said, and then if that wasn't enough, he said, I am absolutely full. Basically, he was saying, I'm overwhelmed. Not only do I have everything I need, it's just, it's flowing over my cup. And he said, in fact, I'm just overwhelmed with your generosity. And so he was absolutely so grateful. And he said that uh, it is actually an odor of sweet smell. It is so precious. It is so beautiful. Have you ever maybe had someone walk by you and they have a a real handsome uh, cologne on or some beautiful perfume and you're just like, oh, it's just striking. It's beautiful. Maybe they leave the room and it lingers for a little bit and you just think, man, that's just such a pleasant smell. You're grateful to be around people like that. And that's what Paul was saying. He was saying, you know what, you, when you folks come into my life and when you leave, the, the, the beauty of your presence just lingers. You know what, there's so many in our church like that for me. I'll see you on the week or maybe I'll get a text or an email or I'll see you someplace. And I just think about what a blessing it is to, to know you and to be around you. And so many of you are such energy givers. I'm so grateful for that. And I thank God for that. I had the joy of preaching in a little church uh, conference uh, for the last couple of days. And I reminded them again, like I've reminded you, folks, in life, we, God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you power, and I want you to be a witness. That's, that's our goal every day is to be a witness. Be a witness. He didn't say, I'm going to give you power so you can just have so much joy and happiness. No, be a witness with that. I mean, just walk, folks, walk into a room and fill it up. May your personality fill that room. May the perfume of your personality fill that place up. How are you today? Good to meet you. How's it going? How's life? What can I, you know, just be friendly wherever we go. That is being a witness. Actually, it's an interesting word in Acts chapter 1 where it talks about you shall be my witness. (laughs) Did you know that's the exact same Greek word as martyr? God said, I'm going to fill you with my spirit and you're supposed to be my martyr. Because being a witness does mean we have to lay down our life. And we have to say, you know what, it's not about me. And that kind of a life, that grateful attitude is the beginning of contentment. When we walk around just being thankful and contented, it is such a blessing. I remember several years ago now, uh, we went to a beautiful restaurant in, in Stockton. It was a French restaurant. I don't think it's here anymore. But I mean, that thing was expensive. I'd never seen I'd never seen a menu item so expensive. I think that couple that took us to dinner, I think their bill was something like $200. I thought, man, in the world, how is that? And that was like 20-something years ago. Who knows what it would be now? And uh, I thought, man, this is amazing. Just just, uh, so much good food. But I'll tell you what thing, bless her heart, that poor sister, she just was complaining about everything. She didn't like the service. She didn't like the food. Honestly, by the time the, that dessert came, I was like, you know what? This place is rotten. 
It's like, man, I don't like it either, you know. <laughs> but I thought, you know what? I don't know, sister, what is wrong with you? Man, I mean, you spoiled everybody's dinner because you were just having such a bad time. We, that is such a sad way to live. The Apostle Paul said, not me, folks. You are amazing. He said, you just, when I'm around you, you just smell good. You make the room smell good. You just make everything better. And he actually gives reference to the Old Testament offerings, the sweet savor offerings, which were not required. But when God saw the offering given by the, from the heart, he was so pleased. It's been said, if you're not thankful for what you have got, it's doubtful you'll be thankful for what you get. You know, it is contentment that makes for, con- it is gratefulness that makes for contented people. Did you know that all happy people are grateful? Now, we tend to think that being unhappy leads people to complain. But it'd actually be more accurate to say it's complaining that leads people to becoming unhappy. The less you take for granted, the more joy life brings you. If I wake up in the morning and expect, 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 it's going to be pretty hard to reach that standard. But if I wake up in the morning with no expectations, that is the foundation for my contentment. That really is. If I just wake up saying, you know what, Lord, whatever you give me, like Paul said here, I'm full. No, I'm abounding. No, it's overflowing. I'm overwhelmed by how good the Lord is. It's just gravy. God's so good. The University of Nebraska conducted a group of studies. They called it the Family Strengths Research Project. And they tried to identify qualities that really made for a strong marriage, a a strong home, and maybe analyze it, actually clinically find out what is it that makes for strong homes. Why are some homes strong and why are others weak? Why are some marriages so solid and others are not? And they discovered that there really are six qualities that make for a strong family. You can read all the rest of them on your own time, but I'll tell you this. Did you know the number one quality that they found, the top of the list? Here's what it is, and that is the quality of appreciation. They said when a father talks of his appreciation for his children, for his appreciation for his wife, and the mom the wife talks to the children about her appreciation of dad, of the husband. When a wife says to her husband how much she appreciates him, when a husband says to his wife how much she appreciates her, when we appreciate our children, when the children appreciate their parents, that, that uh, crucible of appreciation is just a breeding ground for contentment. I have a contented life because I feel appreciated and I give appreciation. And that's what Paul is saying here. He is saying, I've learned contentment is based on trusting God in everything. It is an unselfish spirit where, frankly, it's not about me, it's about others. And number three, it's a grateful heart. And then number four, prayerfulness. I have found that just being a prayer warrior makes me grateful. Verse 19, but my God shall supply By the way, isn't it wonderful to be able to say, my God, my God, my God, my God. I always uh, appreciate when someone says to me, our church. You know, sometimes people say, your church, and that's nice. But when people say, our church, I love that because it is our church. And, you know, it's something we belong to. 
And that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have that feeling about this is my God. This is our God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I've heard that verse butchered by everybody under the sun. I mean to tell you, I've heard that for people that are doing everything from good to not so good. Christians love to claim this verse. And it is a powerful prayer promise, but it needs to be set in context. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is saying he's already given the the prerequisites. He said, if you are trusting God, if you're an unselfish person, if you are grateful, and you are giving like the churches of Macedonia of your needs, in other words, you took food off of your table or the money for it, and you sent it to me, you could have used it. You have been unselfish. You were more concerned about my blessing than yours. You've been unselfish. You've been trusting God. Here's what I can guarantee you. God will never be outdone by you. He will never be in your debt. He will always give to you over and above everything you've ever given. He will always supply. Because you've taken that which was your need, you've given to the kingdom, God will never be outgiven. I promise you, He will supply all your needs. And that's what he's saying here. I have learned by just praying and giving and praying and giving that God builds contentment in my life. Where does contentment come from? I know for me it comes when God answers my prayers. When God answers prayer, I feel so contented, even if it's something small. I mean, I'll just pray some silly little prayer, maybe some situation, and I'll just say, Lord, would you just work on this? Would you supply this? Would you answer this? And man, that just comes like that. It's just like, wow, thank you, Lord. The small prayers, the big prayers, it's just a blessing. Prayer, contentment comes from an answer to prayer. When God answers prayer, we get content. It's been said that the prayer closet is the crucible, which forms a contented heart. If you've seen a, if you see a beautiful contented heart, you can know that was formed in the crucible of the prayer closet. That's where it comes out of. You go into a prayer closet one way, and you come out of it another way. And that's just like gold. It goes into the crucible just like old ore, but it comes out shiny gold. Prayer is the link that connects us with the contentment of God. It is the bridge that spans every goal. Prayer doesn't change God as much as it changes me. W. Graham Scroggy, the great preacher of yesteryear, also a great uh, author, wrote these words. He said, pray when you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. In fact, pray until you do feel like it. Pray until contentment comes. Just keep praying. The more I pray, the more contented I become. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you know what? I just have found that the more I pray to God, the more He supplies needs. The more I pray, the more He supplies needs. The more happy I get, the more blessed I get. The more I pray, the more I get my needs answered. I get your needs answered. The more I pray, it's just like this wonderful, it's a self, uh, it's just self uh, um, energizing. It's just so exciting to pray. A troubled little girl knelt 
She had some burdens on her heart, and she began to pour out her heart to God. She came to church and knelt at the altar during the service. Being young and not knowing a lot about the Bible, and, but it's very sincere, she tried to pray but was speechless. And then she began to remember what her dad had told her. He said, honey, God knows every need you have even before you pray. And he can answer you even when you don't even know what to ask for. Just ask him, even when you don't understand what you want. And so she knelt at the altar of the church, and uh, a concerned fellow Christian, an adult in the church, came and knelt next to her. And they heard her sobbing before God. A, B, C, D, E, F. They listened for a while, and she was reciting her ABCs. They leaned over her and said, sweetie, are you okay? And she said, yes, I'm praying to God. They said, well, it sounds more like to me like you're repeating the alphabet than you're praying. And she said, you know, my daddy told me that God knows everything. So I'm just saying every letter I know, and I'll let God form the right words. <laughs> and you know, that's exactly what God does, doesn't he? And that's what he does to us. Just prayer just forms everything together. God just puts it together. A contented life, trusting God, an unselfish spirit, a grateful heart, and prayerfulness. And my friend, you just watch that feeling of contentment explode. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.